You know, that is so scriptural that uh, the Bible says perfect love. And where is perfect love found? In God, in God alone. Perfect love casts out all fear. When it says that, sometimes we want to analyze that and say, well, how does it do it? Think of it this way. As a child, if you were in a situation that you had overwhelming obstacles or opposition, and all of a sudden, someone who had every ability and every resource showed up, and you knew they loved you, and there's nothing they wouldn't do good for you, how that would set you free immediately with nothing changing, but immediately everything changes in us, where there is a peace, there is a confidence, there is a hope that no matter what we face, with God all things are possible. With that who has everything and can do everything, who loves you, more than anyone ever has or everyone together ever will. He is for you. He is with you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen? God is so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, if you take a minute and greet the folks around you and you can be seated. You know, in the unstable, ever-changing times that we live in, it's good to know God's never taken by surprise. Uh, God is never overwhelmed or overthrown, never fears, never fails. And yet it's, it's a constant challenge in our lives in the times that we live in uh, not to be overwhelmed by the things that take us by surprise, not to, to have fears come at us. You know, we're in this world. The Bible says you're in this world, but you're not of this world. That's kind of a st strange statement. But what God's word is trying to remind us is that it, this isn't our home. This isn't everything we have to look forward to. The best is yet to come. And it's not just in heaven, but I believe God is, is positioning and preparing the church to experience the greatest glory that the church has ever experienced. The greatest empowerment of the church but how many of you know that if you're going to run power through a line the line has to be complete it can't be nicked up and it can't be damaged or broken and God's about to pour power through the church like we have not seen and so he is he is bringing healing he's bringing wholeness he's bringing restoration he's bringing redemption to our lives to to cause us to be able to without damage, have the power of God flowing through our lives so that the people around us would experience what God has intended uh, to, to, uh, for them to see him and, and become aware of him. Um, but we struggle in these times because it's so easy to get our eyes off God. Uh, there are so many um, opportunities and options, whether it be 
something on the internet or uh, something on the radio or the TV. Uh, we, we have more available to us to distract us than any other generation. And that's why it's a real fight to keep our focus on God. Because wherever you go, God's right there. But whenever we get there and aren't aware of God, it's very easy to be quickly overwhelmed by fear. And, and that fear begins to choke the very life of God out of us. And that's where we, we have to fight, have to fight to keep our focus, have to fight to keep reminding ourselves of who is with us and who is for us and who loves us and who has a plan for us and what that plan is. It's for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. You know, I don't know about you, but there are times, multiple times during the day, I have to remind myself of that. And, and it, it, it helps greatly. And there is a transformational process that God is bringing us through. As long as we're in this portion of life, there's always a change that needs to be occurring in our lives, to be moving from what we were and what we thought we were and what people knew we were to what God created us to be. And, and that is nothing less than glorious. Um, but that's where we live in a world that doesn't look at the glory too often. It, it, it's very hard for it to see. But we should be aware of the glory of God. The Bible says it's Christ in us. It's a hope of glory. And uh, we've, been, we've been learning about how to live in this world. Uh, we're, we're to live in this divided world as a united body of Christ, united with God and united with one another. Um, and the way we do that is, is uh, what we found out is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. So we're to clothe ourselves with love. And we've talked about this a little bit before, uh, but it, it just bears repeating you're wearing what you're wearing today based on what? What did, what, yeah, a choice. But it also was a choice that was dictated by what your taste is, right? What you like. And is that it? You know, I, this is what I like. This is, this is me. But it's also based on, I'm looking at Jeremy, and, and Jeremy is notorious for wearing shorts. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Um, Jeremy wears shorts as often as he can. And even sometimes I've watched Jeremy walk into the church when it's really cold outside and he's wearing shorts. And I'm like, wow, good for him. <laughs> but sometimes what, what, what we choose to wear is based on the climate that we're in. And as much as Jeremy can wear shorts in the middle of the winter, it's a difficult thing for me at my age. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make some adjustments because I need to. Now, Jeremy doesn't. Others may not. But spiritually speaking, there's a climate that's going on in our society, in our world. And that climate indicates that there are some things that we need to be wearing, and this is what we need to be wearing. We need to clothe ourselves in love. In wintertime, you put on winter clothes. 
Summertime, you put on summer clothes. It doesn't make sense to put summertime clothes on in the winter, and it doesn't make sense to put winter t summertime's, uh, wintertime clothes in the summer. Did I get that right? Oh, man, God's so good. <laughs> um, but that's where this is in all purpose, all time, all season. Wardrobe. We're to put on love at all times. And the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Romans. And so the love that we're to clo be clothed with is always available to us, but we don't always put it on. And I will tell you that I'm going to be sharing today uh, the scriptures that, that are concerning this, but I also had something happen that I've, I rarely have happened. Now, the Bible tells us that in these days that young men will dream dreams, young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. And I'm going to share with you a dream that I have that has been very impacting on me and, and is very, I believe, very scripturally oriented. But before we do, we're going to go through some, some scriptures to set this up. So if you would just bow your heads, I'm going to pray. And, and as I pray, you know, God hears all of our prayers at, at the same time. You personally invite God to speak to you because he's not going to push anything on us. He, he loves us too much to force us or to control us. And so today, just out of your own heart, let God know that you long to hear from him because the Bible says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth, whatever means he uses. So, Father, right now we, we acknowledge you've said we're two or more gathered. You're there in their midst. Father, whether we see or feel you here, you're still here. And we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we thank you, Father, for your presence. We know that wherever we go, you, you dwell in us as, as your children. Your spirit is in residence. But today, Father, as every day, we need you. We need you to reveal yourself to us, guide us, guard us, govern us, speak to our hearts and our lives and our situations. Father, we, we need your input and your impartation. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be confident that we will not leave here the same because you will reveal yourself, your truth, your ways, your life, so that we can experience the transformational work of your word and your spirit. And we thank you, Father, that you've said the good work that you've begun in us, you are faithful to complete because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. So we expect it to be done today. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said. So just uh, uh, going back a little bit to uh, remind ourselves of the times we live in. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, it says this. Jesus was being asked by his disciples, what, what's going to be the indicators of the of your return and of the end of the age. And, and the first thing out of Jesus' mouth when his disciples ask him that, he says, take heed that no one deceives you. And we've talked about this quite extensively, that we're living in, in a time of massive deception. 
There is so much deception going on. And when someone's deceived, part of the problem is they don't realize it. And the only, only antidote for deception is truth. And there's only one place. This is part of the deception of the world right now. There's only one place you can find truth. And that one place is God's word. Now, God's word can be found in, in, in you, and you can be sharing truth, but ultimately the only source of absolute truth is God's word. And in the society and the world we live in today, number one, they don't believe in absolute truth. They believe in relative truth, and relative truth is this, whatever I believe is true, which in effect divides and splinters all of us. It causes this massive schism in, in all of our lives. We disconnect because you don't believe what I believe, and I believe what I believe, but I don't believe what you believe, and because we don't believe, we don't connect. And this is, this is being produced over and over and over again in our society, and it's causing more and more divisions. And I understand that people say, well, how can you know that, that God's word is the truth? Well, I've chosen to believe that. I didn't write the book. I've read the book, and I believe the book because it's something that came from something beyond me, beyond just man. And, and so the word of God is truth, and that truth has various effects, but that's where if we don't have any standard for truth, anything that's fixed for truth, truth is always changing, and if truth is always changing, there will never be any stability. And that's the very world we live in today. And that's why we have to have something to anchor our faith to, anchor our hope to, and that's God's word. God's word is an anchor to us. But we've got to be careful we're not deceived. And the only way we won't be deceived is go back to the word of God. You know, there are so many things that we can spend so much time doing being entertained by or informed by. But it's not a time to be entertained or informed. It's a time to be transformed. As the church, we're supposed to be changing all the time, becoming more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in character and in, in content in our lives. And it gives us a number of different things, but dropping down to verse 10, it goes on to say this. Jesus tells them, and he says, uh, many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another, and then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So this is the times we're living in. We're seeing all this. Are you seeing anybody offended? obvious question but it bears asking because we see it everywhere i mean it, there is no lack of offended people and unfortunately we are some of them it's easy to become offended the bible also tells us jesus said offenses have to come but woe to the person that brings these offenses this offense, this, this is another way the enemy divides. When I become offended because Pastor Gabe, you know, tells me I, I, he doesn't like what I'm wearing. <laughs> I 
that's something I choose to do. He told me something, his opinion. But in the society we live in, not Pastor Gabe doing this, but people doing this, what they say they believe is true, and though they're going to put their truth on us or someone else, and when we don't accept their truth, I become offended because I don't agree with what they've said. They become offended because I don't agree with what they said. And again, there's a division. And how many of you know that division doesn't just exist between him and me? It's going to start to affect all the other relationships we have. And so in effect, there's division upon division upon division upon division. People are going to hate one another, betray one another. Many false prophets are going to rise up and deceive many. You know, I don't have time today to get into this, but I'm telling you, if you read God's Word, you're seeing exactly what the Word of God says going on today. There are many people that are deceived. And, and all of us have deception working in our lives, and we've learned where there's deception, there's what? Loss. And so the enemy's ripping us off, and when he's ripping us off, he's ripping all those that we come in contact off. Because we aren't what God intended us to be, and we don't have what God intended us to have, and we're not doing what God intended us to do because of that deception. But it goes on to say, and because of lawlessness... Because lawlessness will abound. Now, that word lawlessness is not having, knowing, or acknowledging, or abiding by laws. Now, we here had a series that we went through. Two series, Undercover and Honor's Reward by John Bevere. Very insightful, very challenging Serious about what God's word says and very countercultural to what we're experiencing today in the world we live in. And one of the things that we, we, an overview of it was if it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or unscriptural, we need to abide by it. Thank you for not shouting no. If it's not immoral, illegal, unethical, or unscriptural. If these are laws in our lands, we need to abide by them. And one of the reasons why is those that are in authority, the Bible says God put them there. Now, they may not do what God wants them to do, but they're still there. If God didn't want people in authority, they'd never get there. Who has the final say? Then we don't have to fear what's going on. We just have to keep our faith in the one who is in control. Amen? And so, because of this lawlessness, the love of many is growing cold. It's agape of God. Is, is decreasing. When something grows cold, what happens to it physiologically? It shrinks. It gets more concentrated, more compacted, more rigid. Right? And, and the colder it gets, it can get to the place where it's so cold there's no life left. 
This is saying that because of lawlessness, this coldness is causing love to no longer live the way it should. And we can see this in Christians' lives. I've seen it in my life where I've, I've grown cold towards some things, more compacted, harder towards some things, and, and not loving the way I should be. It's easy to slip into. And we can justify and rationalize whatever, whatever we feel is necessary or what, whatever we want to do. But we have to be very careful that we don't just disregard what God's Word says. Because the moment we disregard what God's Word says, we're no longer on track with God. The moment we, we find that we don't agree with somebody else and we choose to vilify them, we choose to devalue them, we're immediately moving away from what God's Word says. We're not loving them. And, and we, we're supposed to love not just the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says we're supposed to love even our enemies. Now, it doesn't mean we agree with them, but we still need to love them. This dream that I had, I, I was... I try and, and go to sleep thinking about the Word of God. Try and I memorize things and then just meditate on them. And I was meditating on Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, how we're to put on love. And it's, it binds us together in perfect harmony or perfect unity. And um, <clears throat> in this dream, I saw... First, I saw one person on an island surrounded by very angry, agitated waters. And that person was yelling and screaming, was hurt, was offended, was angry. And I saw another person on another island. And when I, I saw that person, that person had on a garment that was extraordinary. It was, it was, I later, the only way for me to describe it was unearthly and glorious. And as I watched the interaction between these two, the one person that was so angry and so hurt and so upset and so aggressive, started picking up stones from their island and throwing them at the person on the other island. The person on the other island, clothed in this unearthly, glorious robe, as the stones came towards this person, they were enveloped by the robe. They began to fall off, and something I can't even describe was... I, it was beautiful and it was very valuable, but it fell into the water. And immediately when it fell into the water, that part of the water calmed. And it would happen over and over again. And as time went on, this person that had this glorious robe on stepped out to these beautiful things that had been enveloped by the robe and fallen into the water and calmed the water and started to walk across this bridge made by these things that the rocks had become because of the robe. 
got over to the island that this person was at and immediately began to somehow impact this person. They began to calm down. And it became very evident that this was all about the love. The garment, the robe, being clothed with love caused them to be able to move towards that person and minister to that person. And all of a sudden, and I can't explain how I knew this, but I knew that this person had received what God had. The person on the island had been so angry and so aggressive and, and so hurt, had received healing and wholeness through Christ, and all of a sudden they were clothed with the same unearthly glorious garment. And as that happened, I was able to see thousands. As far as my eye could see, people on these islands with the same angry water, with the same angry attitudes and actions. And the two now who were clothed in these glorious robes now began to walk back over that bridge and towards another person. The same thing happened. The stones that were being thrown by those angry, hurt people began to be enveloped by this robe of love and fall into the water and calm the water so they could walk to the next one. And it happened over and over and over and over. And I woke up. Now, I don't tell you that because <clears throat> I want you to believe in, in a dream, but I want to tell you as I got up, I said, God, I, I don't really understand this. And what I've shared with you, I didn't have that understanding at, at, at that point as fully. And this is continuing to, to unfold to me, and I'm, I'm, I am personally gaining a lot from this. But as I was asking God, what about this dream? I, 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 I want to understand it more. And one of the things I heard in my, my, my heart is that love is God's Kevlar. Now, I don't know if you know what Kevlar is. Kevlar was created to stop people from being killed by guns, by bullets, by somebody else shooting them or trying to do damage to them. <clears throat> and what it does is it absorbs the impact so it can't penetrate. But when I ask God, so love is your Kevlar, we're supposed to be clothed with this love and it keeps it from penetrating, from, from injuring us, But it does what we've learned. Love covers a multitude of sins, so it envelops whatever was meant to injure us into something that is now transformed into something beautiful and valuable and helpful to connect with that person that has tried to injure. And as, as I've looked at this, I've said, God, I, 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 I want this to happen in my life. And he said, just continue to be clothed with love. Let the characteristics of love be not just informational parts of your life. Let them be transformational parts of your life. Let them be parts of your life that, that are active, that, that you are merciful and, and you're compassionate and you're kind and you're, you're humble and you're gentle and you're patient and you're forgiving. And as all these things come towards you from whatever source, it doesn't matter the source. 
I'll keep them from doing mortal damage and I'll bring healing to you, but I'll also use it to help you connect with other people. And I was excited about that at first, and then I thought, you know, I'd rather not have it happen. Seriously, you know. But the Lord made it very clear to me that we're in this world, it's going to happen. It's going to happen from people who don't know Christ, but it's also going to happen from brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't have to tell you that because you've experienced it. But what we need to choose to do is allow the love of God to envelop these things, not carry. When these stones that were being thrown came in contact with that robe of love, they were changed. And even when you look down at what this had become, it wasn't what it was. And that's where when we forgive, we don't remember what was done for the sake of dredging it up, but we look to God to be able to redeem that situation, which means rescue it from loss. And what, what can God not redeem? God is a redeemer, and he can redeem anything and everything. And that's what we need to, to understand. And we, this morning, we, we, we sang about walking by faith. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 7, it says we walk by faith and not by sight. But in verse 9, starting in verse 9, it says that we make it our aim. Therefore, and, and that therefore points back to walking by faith and not by sight, which is what we're supposed to do. We make it our aim. When we walk by faith and not by sight, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. Then it goes on to say, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he has, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we don't talk about this a lot. Occasionally we mention it, but it's, it's really important because we're closer to the return of the Lord than ever before. Is that correct? Just by the virtue of us being alive one more day, we're one day closer. Now, no one knows when he's returning, but there are all sorts of indications in the word of God of things that needed to be in place before he returned. And I am not an, uh, the greatest scholar in this area, but I've studied this. And what I know and what I read and what I hear from other people, what needed to be fulfilled has been fulfilled so he could come at any time. All right? And so with that in mind... We need to be aware that <clears throat> we're going to stand before the Lord. Not all of us together, individuals, not even husbands and wives. As an individual, we stand before the Lord and answer for what our life has been like. Now, if there's no hesitation in that, you're not completely understanding what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank God for the mercy of God, for the compassion of God, that, that the mercy of God doesn't give us what we deserve and the grace of God that gives us what we don't deserve. But we're going to stand before the Lord. Now, there, there are two groups of people that are going to stand before the Lord, the saved and the unsaved. And they're different types of judgment. 
The Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And God knows none of us are perfect. But one of the indicators that, that you're a, a, a seeker of God is you're here this morning. All right? It's not the only one. There are people that don't go to church that are seekers of God, but they're missing out on what God in, intended them to have as, as a blessing in their lives. But we're going to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. And we're, we're going to receive the things done according to what we've done in our lives. Now, I, I just want to temper this a little bit by uh, helping you understand 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is not going to be up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it talks about how we are going to stand before the, the Lord, but how we do and what we do, the judgment seat of God, it's a different seat. And it says this, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare the day of judgment because it will be revealed by fire. Now here's what fire does. Fire purifies and fire purges. Okay? And so what's going to happen is our lives are going to be tried by fire. All of our, our work, good or bad, tried by fire. The good that we did, that God directed us to do, that's the gold, silver, and precious stones. The thing that God didn't direct us to do, the things we did in the flesh, that's the, the wood, the hay, and the straw. And when fire goes through the wood, the hay, the straw, what's going to happen to that? gone all right we don't get rewarded for it because there's no reward there they were opportunities we had <clears throat> to do what god wanted and didn't but the gold silver and precious stones they're going to stay through the fire you'll receive a reward for that some people have indicated that people will use that to create crowns, and those crowns we now will lay at the feet of Jesus. There are seven different crowns that the believer has the opportunity to get, and we don't have time to go into that. But this says we make it our aim. <clears throat> We're going to be judged. We need to have that in the back of our minds and rewarded for what we do. So we need to make it our aim. It needs to be a, a motivating part of every day we live. Every choice we make, every direction we take should be the first part. We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to who? To God. But that in itself is a monumental challenge. Because who do we usually live in, with in mind when we make our choices of pleasing? ourselves and that's where we have to recognize we're not here to please ourselves because if we please ourselves it's very short-lived wood hay and straw it'll last for this life but it's not eternal or we can live a life pleasing to him who is love and if we're pleasing to him who is love we're going to live that life of love 
that's characterized by those characteristics that we read in verse 12 and 13 of Colossians chapter 3, one of them being forgiving. When we do that, there's a reward for it, and it goes beyond this life. You know, I had somebody say to me recently, well, what if, what if you're wrong? What if you, you know, there's no real life after this life. This is all there is. I said, well, you know, I read the Bible. It tells me that there is an eternal life, either with Christ or apart from Christ. It says if I repent of my sin, I receive Christ's forgiveness and him as my Lord, then I'm going to spend my eternity with Christ. But if I don't, I'm going to spend eternity apart from Christ. And this person said, well, I don't believe that. I said, you know what? You can believe anything you want to believe. But think about this. If, if you're right, then I've tried to live a life that really characteristically is good. And my life is over and that's it. But if I'm right, you've lived the way you wanted to live, and you're going to find at the end of this life, there is a fork in the road. And so there's no real loss for me living the way I'm living if you're right. But there's a huge loss for you if you're living the way you're living and I'm right. The Bible's right. That ended the conversation. And, and that's usually what happens. People don't want to believe anything but what they want to believe. And we, we fall into that too. But that's where we need to, we need to be always aware. Why am I living my life? What am I, who am I living my life for? The, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you have to, first thing, you have to deny yourself. Because if we don't deny ourselves, we can't serve Christ because we're serving us. And if I say I love God, and Jesus said this, why do you say Call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you to do. And he said, if you love me, you'll do the things I've commanded you to do. So in essence, if I'm not following Christ, I'm not, I'm not really loving him. And that's, that's a huge issue. But we make it our aim. When you aim at something, what, what does it Infer. If I'm aiming at something, what do I do? First thing I do is that I decide what I'm aiming at, correct? If I'm aiming at that sconce, I know that's a sconce because my wife told me that's what it is. <clears throat> if I'm aiming at that sconce, I can't do this. I have to come to the place where I am focused on, attentive to, and directed at a point. And, and when I aim at something, that's my goal. The question is, what, what is our goal? What is our goal in life? Is our goal to get 
a lot of money so we can, we can relax in, in the latter part of our years? Is our goal to get a promotion or get this job or get a, a relationship or get a house, get notoriety? Or is our goal to please God? Because if we'll take one goal, it'll take all the rest of it in our life. If our aim, our one goal, our one purpose is to please God, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. We don't have to worry about the job or, or the promotion or the house or the money or the relationship. Because all of those can distract us without us ever realizing it from the one that will provide every one of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Dropping down from this in, in verse 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. For it's Christ's love that fuels our passion and holds us tightly so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, speaking of the Lord, the one who died for us and now lives again. Now, this is the, the Passion Translation, and it's, it's a little more wordy, but it, it does a good job of helping us see that it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and holds us tight, keeps us on track. It, it's... it's the intensity in our life, the, the, the thing that is paramount in our life, our passion, everything else gives way to that. And what it does is it helps free us from living self-absorbed lives. Now, another translation says the love of Christ controls us or compels us. The original word is compels. And, and that word means to be under the influence of. When you're under the influence, the first thing, when we think about being under the influence, we oftentimes think about somebody being inebriated. Where when you look at somebody who's under the influence of alcohol or under the influence of drugs, it affects their speech. It affects their ability to walk. It affects their thinking. There is nothing that it doesn't have some sort of impact on. And that's what this says. The love of Christ is supposed to affect everything in our lives. There's not one aspect, one area of our lives that the love of Christ. Now, listen, this is what it, it doesn't say our love for Christ. Because how many of you know our love for Christ is up and down? Okay. My love for Christ is up and down. There are days that I show I love Christ more. I try to show him I love him every day, but there are days I do better than other days. 
But how many of you know Christ's love never changes? This is about Christ's love for us that is never up and down. Never there and not there. It's us recognizing how he's loved us. And when we recognize how he's loved us, that fuels our passion. It holds us tight. It controls us. It constrains us. It causes us to choose to be under the influence of the love of Christ all the time in every area with every situation and every circumstance. So if I am, I am choosing to be controlled or constrained by the love of Christ, then no matter what anybody does or what, I, what anybody does to me, if I'm choosing to be controlled by the love of Christ, be under the influence of the love of Christ, then I'm going I'm to forgive. Then I'm going to be kind. Then I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be merciful. But the times I'm not, I'm not choosing to be under the control of Christ. And I can't expect what God has for my life for me to experience. Because I'm no longer, I'm out from under the control of Christ. And the Bible says you can't serve two masters. We are going to serve somebody. We're either going to serve God or something or someone else. And ultimately, we end up serving the enemy and his, his ways, which are destructive and damaging. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what we get when we get out from under serving Christ. Making our aim to please Christ. And what I'm telling you is not something that, okay, I'm going to go out and do it tomorrow and I'm going to get it right. We need to do this every day and make a commitment each morning and throughout the day. God, I want to be on track. I want to, I, want to, I want to live a life pleasing to you. Because it, it's easy to get off track. It's easy to get caught up with us again. Self-absorbed lives. Instead of lives that are poured out for him. We need to live under the influence of, of God's love. And it's always there if I'm looking for it. And that, that in itself is going to have an impact. And the first thing it impacts in verse 16, it tells us this. This is the way it impacts us. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We... we We don't evaluate anyone according to the flesh. Oof. That's pretty all-encompassing. That means I can't rely on what I see, what I feel, what I think, what I hear to look at another person. No. Please understand, I'm just sharing what God's word says. I, I didn't write this. This is what God words, God's word tells us as believers how we're supposed to do. From now on, we regard no one after the flesh. That means appearance. I, 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 
I am prone, we're all prone to making judgments. And we need, we need to be aware of things going on around us, but we can't be condemning. We can't be belittling. We can't be devaluing. Because if we don't see the first thing we see when we look at another human being, the first thing we need to see and be reminded of and be aware of, that person is made in the image of God. Man, they, be, they may be caked with the crap of the world. Just like the prodigal son was when he came home. But there was a robe. There was love that was lavished on him. Acceptance. Affirmation that he was valued no matter how he smelled, how he looked, what he had done. This is, this is the Christian life. And, and I don't know about you, but I will tell you for me, this is daunting. Because it's so easy for me to prejudge somebody just by appearance. Prejudge somebody because of what I've heard. And maybe you think, well, Pastor, you're pretty bad. I'm aware, at least I'm aware that I have a tendency to do this, which means I have a possibility of changing it if I look to God. Some people aren't aware and not, are not willing to admit that we all prejudge. Well, I don't, I don't, yeah, you do. And without the grace of God, you and I can't preach, not prejudge. And that's where when, when we, when we don't regard people according to the flesh, what, what, what's left for us to regard them according to? What's our new reference point? How do we, how do we look at people if we're not going to do it according to the flesh? We've got to do it according to God, according to love, according to how, how God has for us to, to regard people, to know them. You know, the word regard means to know, to consider, to perceive. It's like the lens we view people through. So now instead of the flesh, instead of the things we can ascertain by uh, natural means, we have to do it through love. Through love, the lens of love. Uh, the Passion Translation says, from now on we refuse to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. The CEV translates it this way. We are careful not to judge people by what they seem to be. And the Phillips Translation says, this means that our knowledge of men can no longer be based on their outward lives. You know, we all want to be judged by our intentions instead of our actions. I'll say it again. We all want to be judged by our intentions instead of our actions. Well, I know I did that, but I didn't intend to do it. This, is, this was my motivation. Nobody knows your motivation except for God. And yet we 
judge people on their actions instead of their intentions because we don't know their intentions. But if we're going to be merciful, we need to be merciful outwardly with the people around us because if we're not merciful with them, we don't receive the mercy back. If we're not forgiving for them, it hinders God's forgiveness of us. And this, is, this, is, this chafes at us. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable because it's unnatural. But we're supposed to be moving from the natural to the supernatural every day. That's the transformational work that we're supposed to be experiencing in this world. And part of it is, is forgiveness and how we're supposed to forgive. And, and in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it, it begins to tell us about forgiveness and how we're to forgive. Uh, Peter came to Jesus and said, How often, Lord, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we're going to stop right there. So, how many times were we supposed to forgive somebody? What did Jesus say? 70 times 7. Quick, somebody do the math. 490 times. So we, can, we have to forgive somebody 490 times a day per issue. I, I hope you guys have long lists so that you can keep account of what everybody's done. No, that's not what God's saying. God's, God's, Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter. You always forgive. And then he gives this, this parable and he tells us that this, this king had somebody in his kingdom that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, for somebody to owe 10,000 talents, that was, that was quite a debt. And, and let me just share this with you. This is information I got from scholars. 10,000 talents would be equal to $12 million. So any of you that have $12 million in your pocket, you could take care of the, the debt. It was equal to 50 million denarii. Denarii was one day's wage. 50 million days wage is 13,698 years to repay. I don't know anybody that has that kind of time on their hands. And so what he's saying is this is an unpayable debt. This is, this is speaking and addressing and pointing to forgiving. These people that, that were to forgive, they don't have enough to pay their debts, and we're supposed to still forgive them. It goes on to say this in, in, in the next verse, verse 25. It says, but as he was not able to pay, the master commanded him to be sold, his wife and his children, all that he had and the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, love, released him and forgave, love, forgave him the debt. Now, in this moment, this, this master, this king is saying, I forgive you. You have a debt you can't pay. I, I am merciful and compassionate towards you. I'm aware of your inability to pay. And I am going to forgive you. 
Isn't that what God did for us? There was a debt we couldn't pay. And God paid it and, and took care of the debt, wiped it away by the work of Jesus. It goes on to say in verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. Now, a hundred denarii in, in is minimal, three months time to pay of a day's wage. So 13,000 years plus to pay the other one and now three months. Big inequity, right? Big debt, little debt. And yet this one who was released from a massive debt now goes out searching for somebody who owes him a little bit. And when he finds him, he says, you, you need to pay me what you owe me. And the servant fell down on his feet and said the exact same words that he said to the king. And, and his response is, and he would not. And went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. This is like us when we're not willing to forgive anybody anything. Now remember, forgiveness does not mean we say it was okay. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that, that we act as if it didn't happen. Forgiveness doesn't mean we have to go right back into a toxic relationship. But there is no time and there is nothing that God, God's word gives us wiggle room not to forgive. Now, just let that sink in because this is a big thing. Because right now in the body of Christ, there is a lot of division because of unforgiveness. And if we, we allow unforgiveness to remain it ends up forming a root of bitterness that defiles all our other relationships. Verse 33, it says this. The master had found out about the, the first servant, finding the second servant, not forgiving him, and he said, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you. I, I shared with you at the beginning of the service that we're all going to stand before the Lord and answer. The wood, the hay, the straw, some of those things are our unforgiveness. And Jesus could easily say to me, why weren't you willing to forgive them? Look what I forgave you of. You should have forgiven them just like I forgave you. And that's what we're told in Colossians. In, in verse 13, forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you. I, I don't know why, but I do know that God is really pressing for us to search our hearts and see if there's unforgiveness there. 
Because we can't minister the way God has for us to minister with unforgiveness. It hinders us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, we were in 2 Corinthians 5, but this is, this is down a little farther. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The word reconciliation or, or reconcile um, is, is a word that means to make friends again. It's if we don't keep our relationship with, with God the way it needs to be and stay closely connected in love with him, we're not going to be able to connect with the body of Christ. This reconciliation is, is a change, a redemptive change, rescuing from loss. It's one of the definitions of it is to establish a relationship of peace. Remember the word peace, set it one again? To establish that, set it one again. We're to be set at one all the time with God because there are things that pull us away and we need to be reconnected with God because we've allowed sin. And I'm just going to say it. Unforgiveness is sin. If we hold unforgiveness in our hearts, we're holding sin in our hearts, and that hinders God. It hinders us. It hinders the peace, the oneness with God. It hinders the oneness with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it hinders us from the ministry that God has given every one of us. Every one of us has a ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, of making, of setting it one again. Of, of redeeming, of rescuing from loss, setting people who don't know Christ, connecting in relationship with him. Those that are in Christ, the things that have divided them and, and disconnected them, which is what sin does from Christ, we help them reconcile with God. And then once we're reconciled with God, we reconcile with one another. And as we do, we're able to reach the lost. We have, the, the, we have been reconciled, we have the ministry of reconciliation, we have the word of reconciliation. These are all given to us, but we're going to stand before God and answer, what do we do with it? Because this is what we're supposed to walk in. This is our aim to be pleasing to God. This is what God has us still here for. And when we do walk in this love, when we're clothed with love, that love covers whatever sin is coming at us from whatever source. That love forgives. And that love reconnects. It reconciles. It, it blesses. Remember we read in Romans, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That good, that blessing helps reconnect. And you may say, well, I, 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 will, I will cover that sin with, with forgiveness. I'll forgive but I'm not going to be reconnected. It doesn't mean you go right back into it. But praying for someone is reconnecting through God. And we need to be praying for all. If I get every head bowed, every eye closed.
Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. These areas where we're not in alignment with God and with his word, there are the spots and wrinkles. There are things that God is looking to remove so that we are the glorious, victorious church. And I don't know. I do not know what you've gone through. But I do know this. Whatever you've gone through, it is not worse than what Jesus went through. Yes, it may be worse than this one or that one. And you may say, well, you know, it's easy for them to forgive. But Jesus on the cross, after experiencing all the shame, the suffering, the pain, the rejection, the betrayal, the hatred, said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I'm, I'm asking you to consider Jesus' words and Jesus' ways and as a follower of Jesus Christ to emulate him, do what he did, forgive. And we don't forgive because we feel like it. We do it by faith and not by sight. We choose to forgive, and the next time it rises up and we remember it and the hurt is kind of there, we choose to say, you know, Lord, that's in your hands. I'm looking for you to redeem that situation. I'm looking you redeem that situation in them and in, in me, in healing my heart. Father, I pray right now for every one of your children. There is no lack of hurt, no lack of betrayal, no lack of injury. But Father, we, we know and we're commanded to walk in love. Love believes the best. Love doesn't count as suffered wrong. Love doesn't demand its own ways. That's what you've, you've, you've taught us in your word in 1 Corinthians 13. Doesn't keep a list. Doesn't keep bringing it up. Love believes the best even when it doesn't see it. Father, help us to remember that we need to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Father, I don't even know, but you do. Our eyes are on you. Our trust is in you for healing, for redeeming these things to the uttermost. And help us, help us to become Reconcilers, walking in the ministry you've given us. Father, I know that it's not, uh, not a work that's just done in a moment in time on a Sunday morning. It's, it's something that's done over time, the rest of our lives here in this earth, that you, you are redeeming. You are Reconciling, You are growing us up in your love and in your life. And I thank you for the courage of your people and the willingness of your people to embrace your truth and to walk in your ways. Father, help us. We know you're there. We know you care. And we know you will because you've given us your spirit. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name. Would you stand?
I would encourage you to go over these scriptures, read them again, meditate on them. Just like I shared with you about the, the, the dream I had, I believe God is looking for us to reach these people on these angry islands with hurts and, and injuries and, and uh, aggressiveness that is all around us and help them become reconcilers like God has for us to become. Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. I thank you for the plan that you have for them, and I thank you for your presence that lives in them. I thank you for your power that is unequaled and available to each and every one of your children everywhere in every situation and circumstance. I thank you, Father, for your provision that is abundant. Your peace and your joy that is extravagant. And Father, as we walk this week out, we know you've already gone ahead of us and prepared the way. Everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to you, which will, is our aim, and impacting and imparting to the people around us, you've given us. And so, Father, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help free us from living that self-absorbed life to living the life of love that you have for us to live so that Jesus will be lifted up and exalted in our lives and all people will be drawn unto him. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.